Hello. Hey, Sarah. What's going on? How are you? I'm very good. Very good. good. Let me make sure. All right. So check it out, my friends. This is Dr. Drill's Making Motivation podcast, and it is April 23rd, 2020. I am speaking with my good friend, Sarah, who uh, her little uh, pseudonym is Swagger, uh, fierce motivator I've known for Probably most of 15, well, more than a decade. Or so. Yeah, I, I counted, I think, 18 years. Holy friggin' moly, 18 years. I think I was 18 or 19 when we met. Yeah. 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 So um, this is, you're actually the first, my first guest on the podcast, at least doing it this way, where uh, we're utilizing the Anchor podcast app, which as I've mentioned, has been very good to me. And uh, it's Thank a free app. Yeah, yeah. I'm delighted to have you. Um, so let me just set the scene here. So I, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, Sarah, uh, I've known you for maybe almost 20 years now. Uh, one of my first jobs out of chiropractic college, uh, worked in a this, uh, clinic down in um, – Tenet Square, Pennsylvania. I met Sarah's mom, who was just a wonderful human being, and we became fast friends. Before long, I got to meet her daughters and her sons and take care of everybody with uh, adjustments and banter and really smart, good people that uh, I've kept in touch with for most of these years, and I was reconnected with Sarah maybe 10 years ago when she wound up here in the office trying to join my, she turned out she lived locally, right? You were living in. Uh, yeah. I was living in green lane when your office was in Lansdale. Yeah. How weird is that, that we ended up in the same place? That's crazy. Yeah. I, and I don't know if, if we, did you dis who discovered who, or if your mom said, Oh, I think Dr. O is practicing up there or whatever, but yeah. we, she said that, and I looked you up and found your Dr. Drill instructor program and was like, hey, I'm lazy. I can give that a try. Yeah, and you kicked ass, man. We used to – so Sarah and I trained together in the, what we call the Night Pirates, uh, Stinking Nighty Pirates, Yo Ho Me Hardies, maybe a group of 20 max, you know, trainees yeah. between six it and – It was a seven. good group. That was a hard workout, too. Right? Hour and a half. I asthma at the end of that workout i went to the doctor and got <laughs> tested for it and she said no you're just <laughs> and we kicked ass right i mean we didn't talk about uh we'll talk about some current events in a moment but we were we were out there in the muck in the with the allergens with the in the woods we're in the mud running yeah. around you got peers like uh, mean mean bernadine and uh Wassel iron and swagger and and so many that uh it seems so long ago but so uh Sarah, you're um you what's what's happened to you since that time since i left you on the uh in the fields of harleysville kicking ass taking names in the ddip well at that time i was working as a registered sleep technologist which i would also be more than happy to talk about at some point yeah um, but the company I've been working for for a long time, they had to close down because of changes in insurance reimbursements. And uh, that was my longtime career. So I was kind of at a crossroads. I picked up 
uh, in Phoenixville working for a durable medical equipment outfit and decided I wanted to give another stab at nursing school that I had started when I was 20. So uh, I started nursing school when I was 31, I guess. Awesome. And immediately realized that the job I was working in was not in line with my values. So I left them and just went to nursing school, worked as a nursing assistant. And uh, by the time I graduated, I had a pretty good job set up for me down here in North Carolina. And I moved out of Pennsylvania and I've been here in North Carolina for just about two years now working as a registered nurse. And I kind of still can't believe it. That's awesome. Now, what was, uh, briefly, what was the, uh, you mentioned that there was, um, the job that you were doing was not working out. I mean, I got the sleep study thing. What was there a nursing position you had in PA or. So it was for a durable medical equipment provider. So if right. you need like, you know, crutches, wheelchairs, hospital beds, but I worked for their sleep department. So when you get a sleep study, you have apnea, you need a CPAP machine. Right. And that's because that was my specialty. That was the department I worked in. And I did big things there, but I did not uh, have the same values as some of the people who I was working for. Mm-hmm. And it was more important to me to keep my values and my patient care than to fit into the company I was working for. So I left them to focus on my nursing degree. And while in nursing school, then I went and worked as a nursing assistant to keep everything in line for myself. Yeah. Like kind of, uh, so as to hit the ground running. Yeah, pretty much. And it, it was a huge help. I don't think I would have finished nursing school if I wasn't working in the nursing field at the time and working as a nurse. Now I can see how it's benefiting the nursing assistants that I work with that are in nursing school or other types of medical degrees, they're really benefiting from the experience to mix with the education. That's awesome. Yeah, I've always been, long been an advocate of uh, kind of doing whatever your goal is to try to get in there however possible, Mm -hmm. as soon as possible, so that you can just, you know, learn before you, uh, while you're taking in all the book learning and all that stuff, you're actually getting a, a, a glance at, pretty thorough glance at what you're going to be doing day to day. Yeah. And I mean, you can only learn so much from books and we all learn differently and learning from books doesn't cut it for some people. I am very much a hands-on learner. So I can, I do love to research and I can gather knowledge from research and reading textbooks, but I can't reconcile it in my own brain unless I get my hands on the activity and really have it make sense to me. Uh, and I think nowadays with the, you know, short attention spans that we have, I think yeah. that the technique is going to become more and more beneficial. Definitely. You know, that's interesting. And on that note, I, I had a friend of mine who, whose opinion I value tremendously. She's like a genius of a woman. And uh, she, we're always uh, talking up the big questions of life and, education this and that and the other thing and she's a like uh, some of you might know i'm a i'm a professor part-time and she also is so she was telling she sent me this link it was about um how there was an individual uh, scientist somebody studying this uh topic said that suggested that learning um learning 
modalities like kinesthetic visual that that that's not um like people aren't just one genre you know people aren't just mm -hmm. like although I, I mean it's one of those things where people will say the, the science will say well there's light right brain is uh creative and left brain is analytic and you uh, neuroscientists come out and say well that's kind of not as that simple as you're making it sound but I mean, I understand what the article is basically saying that we all draw from uh, different um, aspects of those learning modalities and you can't take a test and just say, well, I'm a visual learner, so that's, I always need to see things. We have five senses and we can take in it all mm -hmm. and process it however, but at, then again, I mean, there are doing, I agree uh, wholeheartedly about the short attention span thing, right? Because... Um, we're just processing things at such a crazy rate, particularly now as we are, um, you know, we've got this coronavirus uh, bullshit, which I abbreviated. I call it the CVBS for coronavirus bullshit um, <laughs> because I don't want to be like cliche, right? You don't want to be like uh, yeah. COVID-19 uh, or whatever people are calling it, COVID, uh, Rona. I think that's Rona. That one kills me. No, I uh, I call it the C unit because I happen to be working on the Corona unit. Yeah, so that's been my name. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, on that note, so let's let's segue then. So, uh, just a, a reuniting of a friend again, Sarah. Great to be uh, to be in touch with you. Uh, mostly um, social media connecting us, but just a really awesome individual and I, I'm inspired by hearing about uh, your aspirations to become a nurse and just having talked to you a little bit about it online I can tell you're very passionate about it and you're definitely the type of person that we need there in the trenches doing this work as a frontline COVID nurse so um, just yeah, thank you I, I really love it yeah tell us about it tell us about your experiences so um I work on a progressive care unit, um, also known as a step-down unit. It's pretty fast-paced. Um, we have some critical illness. It's not, you know, as in-depth as the ICU, but it's pretty close. Um, for people who aren't familiar with the medical field, I refer to it as the ICU without ventilators. Uh, however, there are some progressive care units that also use ventilators. So we're talking chronic illnesses like heart disease, kidney failure, COPD, things that some lifestyle change can improve, but you can't really get rid of the disease once you have it. And they end up with frequent hospitalizations, complicated hospitalizations. Um, and it's, it's busy. It's, uh, it's very high skill. And I work the night shift. I like working night shift. I've worked night shift for a long time. And I, I want my patients to have somebody who wants to be at work when they're at work. So I stick to the night shift. Wow. Um, since we get such a high acuity patient base, we've turned our unit into the COVID unit. Um, so... You know, all, all nurses, all medical workers are frontliners, but in a COVID-designated unit, you truly are. So an emergency room, uh, an ICU, and a COVID-designated unit, 
um, you're you're just as at risk as the paramedics and the first responders out in the field. So it's been a really interesting experience to see um, the condition that some of these people come in and leave in uh, and the, the progression or lack of, of the disease. So the most fascinating thing I think I can say, uh, and I think we've talked about this on social media a bit, is it is unpredictable. Hmm. There are people who are walking, talking, playing on their phones, and their oxygen is saturating in the 70s, and they don't feel like anything's wrong. Wow. And there are other people who are diagnosed positive for COVID. They are coughing up a storm. They can't breathe. They can't walk, but their oxygen is in the 90s. So there's, um, as far as the physical presentation, there are some things that we know, but there's really no rhyme or reason to it. It's very complicated. So uh, on our unit, we take in the patients who come through the emergency room that are suspected for COVID-19 and they get swabbed and they come up to our rollout unit where they're in a protected, isolated unit. We are all wearing our personal protective equipment, our PPE, when we work with these patients. And then as soon as we get their test results, if they're positive, we move them to a positive designated unit. And if they're negative, they move out to, um, a, you know, like a regular medical surgical non-COVID unit right away. So um, there's a lot of movement in and out. There's a lot of uh, unsuredness on the floor at times. Um, what else can I say? It's, it's, uh, it's confusing. No, it's not. Well, I mean, that's, that's, you said, uh, you know, quite a bit about it and that's, um, we're all really taking in the same news thread. It's just in Mm -hmm. a very interesting time right now where we talked about, um, about how we have good attention spans. I'll bring that up again and back that into the, the absolute crazy volume of the information coming in uh, much of it at this point is becoming credible. It seems like, you know, I don't want to necessarily talk about fake news, but obviously we need to, um, we need to be able to distinguish. That's one, one problem that the online environment has. It's just, there's a, a phrase that I've seen online. It's a quote says something to the effect of, well, I guess I'd be paraphrasing it. Um, we are drowning in knowledge, but starved of wisdom. So, oh, I like that. We are drowning of information, but starved of wisdom, right? So, we don't, we have information coming at us. We have all this at our fingertips, but we're not sure of the validity of what we're hearing to the point where there's so much, somewhat, you know, anecdotal at the very least and misinformation at the worst. Um, that when somebody speaks like a specialist, like this Dr. Fauci guy or Burks, uh, the, the other doctor on the White House staff there, you're almost like you, you, people now know they're starting to realize that where they can get credible information and um, starting to bat, bat down, so to speak, some of the, the bullshit that comes across that. And, and ultimately, that's why I'm talking to you, because you're somebody who's doing the work you know it's like if i want to be a nurse i want to work 
and in and around nurses. I want to learn the ropes to, and hear what they have to say. If I want to, whatever you want to do, right. You gotta, you gotta listen to, and this goes back to my Marine Corps background. Listen to the guy with boots on the ground. You know, you have to li- yeah. listen to that's, and that's it. And this is freaking not, listen, I want to talk about this honoring everything you've told me thus far. I don't want to get too far off the, off the track, but um, cause we're going to stay on this current event of, okay. but um, you know. derail all you want. All right. So, yeah. Um, so this is just my, I, I started writing something the other day as I've been thinking about this and I, I'm the type of person perhaps like many that likes to, I had to turn my, I don't like to turn my attention to actually, you know, who said this to me, a doctor, the, the MD that we, that I used to work with at, um, in Kenneth square there, he told me one time Uh and it's been quoted, um, often, you know, it's not his original quote, but basically, um, watch what you turn your attention to, you know, because, uh, so on that note for the longest time up to the, up to the last six months or so, I turn the friggin' news off. I'm a middle of the road guy. I just, I'm a good, you know, try to be a good person. And I always find myself in a, on any issue trying to find the middle ground in efforts to distinguish between, you know, just a, a balance because uh, I just find anything to the extreme is bad. So anyway, got all this friggin' information coming in. I was, uh, uh, I'm, taking in all this uh, news stuff and, and looking at scientific articles and firsthand accounts from nurses like yourself and thinking about like how, what should our posture be? We're also looking at the political stuff where it's like, what this freaking PPE shortage? What, how the hell did I have, did I order uh, a shitload of items from Amazon and they were on my doorstep the next day, just a month ago. And now all of a sudden we can't get ship paper. Right. Yep. I mean, that's like it just doesn't even seem like it's America. And I'm trying to think like, well, maybe because it started in China and we sold all of our stuff to there because that was where the need was. And we didn't think we'd ever need it. And so now they were sick and their manufacturing wasn't up and running. Therefore, they make all the products that we that we consume. So they don't have the shit over there and all that stuff. I'm thinking about that and trying to put connect the, the dots. And then I thought. And, and you're looking at the posture that the president and the, the public health officials, like, why is it that we don't have fucking testing? Because if you don't know who's coming into your hospital or patients are coming in, a few patients are coming into my practice here with, with acute uh, musculoskeletal things. Um, we're technically as uh, essential personnel, but it's like, you know, we're not saving lives here. We're, we're getting people, maybe we're saving people from having to go into the hospital. But um, what I figured is that with all of the kind of half-ass, what I what the public perceives as half-ass responses, um, like how do we not have the tests? How do we not have PPE? How do we... How did we, how do I read so many fucking articles that were talking about how the super bug is, is coming and there's no research funding for it because it doesn't make a lot of money, shit like that, that I've just cobbled together over the years in my studies and my teaching and in practice. But I think all that groundwork to say 
I think we should treat this like it's fucking warfare. Like, oh, I agree. Right? Hundred percent agree. And this whole thing about okay, you're gonna see a lot of memes out there. You've probably already seen them about how all of these people want to reopen the states, get back to business as usual, and then you see a picture of medical staff with knives in their back. Mm-hmm. That is what it feels like. From working directly on the front line, the reason that our hospital is not packed with COVID patients is because social distancing and self-isolation and closing down these mass public areas is working. So since that's working, it's not that it worked, it's that it's working, that doesn't mean that it's time to stop. And you see the people posturing because they see it working and they're like, great, we fixed it. Let's go back to normal. But luckily, some of the states have some governors with some, you know, pink and gray mush working well in their brains. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, no, we're not ready yet. We need more time. And we do, because if we stop what we're doing right now that is currently working, we're going to see a second wave. Mm-hmm. I really I really think we're going to see a second wave. I'm not a I'm not a doctor, I'm not an epidemiologist or I don't, you know, trace all these things, but I think that this looks like oh, it's not so bad because we're doing it right. Because in a way, we are treating it like it's warfare. We are locking down. We are protecting ourselves and others as much as we're able to with the knowledge and equipment that we're given. And once you let up, I mean, you were in the Marines. What happens when you, when you put your guard down? Well, I'll tell you on that note, this is, and this is straight out of the, you know, the Marine forces friggin' Atlantic, whatever the hell the book it has been 25 years since I was in, but it's in the straight, straight out of the manual where if you complete an attack, let's say we're attacking a hill, as we can read about in all the historical accounts of famous battles and stuff, you attack, you know, the enemy's on the high ground. It's a fierce battle. You attack the hill. The most probable time for that enemy to counterattack is immediately after you've taken the objective because they want it back. And so it's standard operating procedure for everyone that once you attack that hill and you neutralize the enemy you get in a 360 so guns out and you you have a hundred percent alert you know you have you have a hundred percent alert where you guns out and you're monitoring for the enemy and you're sending out patrols to make sure the enemy isn't coming back because they want to take that ground back and i just i, I actually want to write something on that or do a full podcast just on that because that's um, that's exact. That's a great analogy for this. I started thinking, swagger. Mm-hmm. Like, I started thinking, and for different reasons. Like, I do appreciate. I do see that frontline berserkers like yourself are do are have a military posture. I do see that the medical and the public health establishment have that that militaristic bearing right now because it's business that needs to be conducted Mm -hmm. and you have a perspective that even 
as many, you know, things on Facebook, we read firsthand accounts from this doctor or that doctor. I mean, it, it's like there's no substitute for actual having boots on the bra- on the ground and doing and understanding. Like we just don't, under- mm-hmm. we don't get that. So we're playing volleyball, like back and forth. The ball bounces on the one side and it's like, okay, things are getting better. I saw that the rates are going down. My business is suffering. We got to open back up. And, and on the other side, you receive, you know, you know, somebody you read about something about a, a nursing home where like 60 people died and there were stacking bodies and shit. It's like, so then it gets, mm-hmm. it, it puts some fire under your ass to get be, you know, be vigilant. But so I feel like that posture, that militaristic posture, first of all, if you look at the economy and the American economy and all look at our budget, where our money's going, it's no secret. We got crazy ass military budget with laser freaking weaponry and, and experimental jets and bombs and all this shit that supposedly is, is larger than all of the other, you know, uh, countries on par with the United States, first world countries, militaries, we like dwarf everything. So let's recruit all that shit from personnel to uh, public health efforts, to PPE, to the, the way that we look like I'm for, um, fucking razor sharp creases and damn, you know, looking like you're going to war because, because what that does, and I have this perspective as having been a Marine for four years, that whole, the whole idea of being a force in readiness and floating forces around on boats and, and deploying forces is it's about a, a show of force. Like it's a, a solidarity freaking Rosie, the riveter. We're going to, this, this uh, suffering manufacturing plant over here used to be making widgets. Now you're making fucking PPE and you guys over there, you know, you chiropractors, we're going to put, you know, you guys are going to come over there and we're, you guys ain't got any patience. Hey, over at the college, they're doing, um, they're doing testing. You mind putting on some PPE and swabbing people joining the effort? Like really, like sort of shit where like at the from the beginnings of America where we're like holy shit we want independence let's do it let's all meet down in Philadelphia and freaking have a few beers and then we're gonna who wants to sign up for this worthy mission like this is a fucking worthy mission that could unite could mm-hmm. unite people it should unite people so there's a there's a book I read uh, last year can I plug yeah it? <laughs> it's called One Second After. Uh, I don't recall the author's name at this moment. I'll look it up real quick. But it's actually the first in a series. And it takes place here in North Carolina, which I thought was funny. That's not the reason that I picked it. Uh, One Second After by uh, William R. Forstchen. So it's an apocalyptic book. It's about this present day uh, nation and there's, I don't know, like an electromagnetic pulse or something in the sky, and it shuts down all electronics. Mm-hmm. And immediately, in one second after this happens, this modern nation has to go back to what you're saying, back to the, the days of gaining our independence, living off of the land, living off of each other's skills and knowledge and experience. We don't have technology 
you know, cars stop dead in the middle of the road, lights don't come on. And it goes through how this community bands together, supports each other, supports um, the medical system, the postal system, who's hunting and gathering and cooking and I mean, it goes so far as a group of, I think it's a group of high school students and their teachers and some other town members recreate electricity based off of their knowledge and what they have available. And that's the type of attitude that we should have towards this. But we have grown into such a uh, me for me and you for you society Mm. that I don't. I don't think we know how to do that again. And not to mention, you know, I'm going to go on my own tangent here now. Yeah. <laughs> how dependent we've become on the modernization of everything. Factory farming, food production, electricity is just there. It's just there and present. You don't have to light a candle, you know, when the sun goes down at night. It's, cell phones, computers, everything. And we don't know how to function without it. And I think that is actually the basis of the reason that people want to reopen the economy. Like, yes, it takes money to survive. But I think the reality is maybe not so much getting that paycheck, but getting that sense of your modern and normal life back. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, yeah. And I'll admit, I am fortunate that I am not faced with the job loss or loss of pay issue because I am working in the medical field. I am essential. So I've talked to some other people in other fields who are dealing with that. And it has put a lot of perspective uh, in for me that I didn't think about before. Um, So I've talked to some people who told me that it's affecting their Um, their medical benefits or their family. Um, You know, for example, if someone, if one of the spouse were to contract COVID and pass away, then the family member actually wouldn't have any benefits for funeral costs or to continue on living and raising the children afterwards. So things like that, I have not considered. Um, But in, but my base thought is we don't want to be, um, what's the word, you know, like living in the prairie days, we want to be living in 2020. Well, yeah. And, and we're, yeah, freaking brilliant. Um, you know, I, I've thought a lot about that myself and obviously everybody's got a, a little bit of a different perspective. I feel like everyone's mm-hmm. got skin in the game. Uh, it's here's, but that's rare because usually, usually, and I, I have so much to say about this, but um, Man, me right? too. <laughs> we're going to do it. Um, so um, on what you said about, you know, so perspective, how rare is it? Like we're usually used to, if we're going to war, if we're going back to that concept where we treat this, we recruit all of our resources, which are ample, uh, the military industrial complex, quote unquote, and we focus that because that's what we're good at. We've gone to war and, you know, um, whether wars were justified or did any good is, is, is a little bit beyond the scope of, of our conversation here. But we, it's, it's what we do. We're good at deploying forces. We're good at solving problems. 
and here's an enemy that is not human. It's not visible. And so um, we, we don't know where to shoot. We don't know where to, to, where to put the, uh, the crosshairs in order to, to win this battle. I think that's why. Because if this was, obviously shit happens like 9-11, you're looking for somebody to blame. We're already blaming um, China, which you know, they should bear some sort of responsibility for the condition of these wet markets or whatever. And then there are folks who think it's 5G, and then there are folks who think it's it's a deliberate um, law. Wait, I'm sorry, 5G is getting blown. Oh my God, there's some 5G. Oh, I haven't. Oh heard yes. Yet. Oh, I'm going to go down a hole tonight. Yeah. Well, no, it's crazy. I mean, it's uh, it is it is crazy. Some of the conspiracy theories that are coming out, but you know what's nuts? What's craziest, in my opinion, is Sarah that. It's almost like nothing would surprise. Like if I were to say, well, I read the science and it looks like they can track this virus pretty well genetically. So they know how it originated. And it doesn't look like that being a molecular science, molecular geneticist, uh, microbiologist. Um, it doesn't look like it was man-made. Therefore, it most likely originated from a bat or a pangolin or I mean, something, some critter like that in these wet markets in China. So, um, so it probably wasn't a deliberate act, you know, but still when things arise in your backyard, I mean, I know people have been calling this the Kung flu and this as while some people might be find that abrasive or racist or whatever, the reality is it started in that part of the world. People are going to call it that, especially if we object to it. So, um, but that's that's one thing. But um, so uh, freaking uh, come flu. Um, Can I yeah, bounce yeah, off of something yeah, you said yeah. while you're thinking? So it could have just as easily started in our part of the right. world, because if you look at some of the other research about how it was transferred from animal to human, you can see that same possibility with the American factory farming because what you have is a mass number of animals in a very confined space and working uh, with humans working directly with them. So in that type of environment, it can, you can, um, I forget how it was worded in the article I read the other day, but like, man, I have access to, all the peer-reviewed medical science sites. And someone should take that away from me because I just read a lot. And what I read was that this type of mass producing uh, or mass farming of animals of any kind is what allows the transfer of animal-borne illnesses into humans. And then once it gets into that new host, again, also not a microbiologist or virologist, but once it gets into that new host, then it starts to uh, transform based on the new like blood type or whatever it's meeting with. And that's how you're able to see it start to move from, you know, from animal to human and then from human to human via uh, droplet and then human to human via possibly airborne or short distance airborne. So 
it could have happened here. Yeah. It just happened that it didn't. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So placing the blame doesn't fix anything. What fixes it is, like you were saying, getting all of these people together to do the research to to figure it out and to attack it like it's war. Yeah, definitely. But I'm, I'm tagging along on what you said there. And I, I don't know if you saw it. I wrote a post on Facebook, I think yesterday. But um, it was an image that I saw. Okay, and it was it had all these MERS, SARS, COVID nineteen. Yeah, I did. Okay, see so that. yeah, the swine flu. Yeah, flu. so it kind of like because people, it's one of the things that I haven't really seen addressed that much. You hear about wet markets, you read enough detail on it, you, you, they seem to have tracked it to that Wuhan province and the wet markets, and and I was thinking about. I've been thinking about that because I drive, you listen to podcasts and all, I drive back and forth up Allentown Road every day. And there's the largest, Mm -hmm. there's the freaking large, one of the largest in the nation, apparently, at least east of the Mississippi, meatpacking plants, um, which is JBS. And, and of course, Hatfield. You guys have Hatfield right here. I did a Listen, I did a tour. Mm -hmm. Uh, I did some workman's comp for them about i don't know over the years i have it was always a shit show you know you got these people that are busting their ass with sharp items there they're you know in a freezer environment they're lifting these carcasses and doing all kinds of things that most human beings most americans are so foreign to us we forgot so we've forgotten where our food comes from we have no clue and the reality is what i've seen in that tour and what i've read what I believe to be true is that those people that are work in those environments are doing a job that few Americans are willing to do. Um, and they are doing it. I saw their, their hourly rates. They were, they were, they were offering like, I had to sign up for like 18 or $22 an hour. I mean, so these are people I've, I've seen the, uh, the demographic. These are people who are, low income who live, who are minorities typically, and who live in places at least around here, like, um, like Allentown or, um, or Norristown or wherever. And they, in many cases, they bust them in or van them in or otherwise get them transportation to the factories. And they're working their asses off. They have very little incentive before the first person, first, you know, hundred people within a one facility came down with this critter and actually got sick, they had no incentive for not going to work or even getting tested. I mean, they weren't getting fucking tested. It probably took dozens, no. hundreds of these people. And now you're reading Hazleton, uh, Souderton, um, Chicago, that one uh, governor out there in South Dakota was like, ah, we're cool. We're kind of things are spread out. No reason to social distance, like a hundred of people <laughs> in one plant. So it could happen anywhere. It could happen in any enclosed space, obviously. Um, I just, uh, I think about that. I think about the environments and, and the economic implications of whenever I drive by there, I mean, Listen, I'm a carniv- I'm a omnivore. I like a good steak, um, you know. But uh, I got to admit, and I've talked many times on my podcast, like I'm driving behind a, a tractor trailer with 
these poor oh, creatures, you know, sticking their eyes out the side and they're just. I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've been behind yeah. those trailers on the Northeast extension and it brings tears to my eyes. And then what do I do? I go home and I fucking eat. Yeah. You know, but you know what, on that note, and I know there's a shitload of, you know, there's that whole thing where people, Oh, you know, they'll buy anything bacon just because they're going to continue what they're doing. What interests me, and it's a positive thing, what I've read, yeah, there's a book called, I'll plug a book called uh, Abundance, and the subtitle is It's Not As Far Away As You Think. So guys talking about how technology is going to solve some of the problems that we have, and one of the problems, as I mentioned in that Facebook page, page previous, or post previously mentioned, is that Human beings, our population rises, our footprint is gigantic. We are, have been very successful to our credit. The Industrial Revolution is awesome it happened. We're all only here because of these advances in technology from the agricultural revolution to the internal combustion engine and medical science and vaccines. There's so much that, we, that we've done positive. So I'm not, you know, I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, just giving boo to the to the human race but obviously as a result of all of our progress there's been a huge impact that people are like you mentioned earlier they don't want to let go of the quality of life that they have they don't want to change people hate change anyway the only thing that's going to right that's going to uh, promote change at any whether you're talking about somebody coming in for healthcare or doing anything is pain. And so that's the only catalyst that I know for true change. People have to feel like my freaking world is rocked here. My job is not secure. I can't leave my house. Um, can, I can't find yeast to make fucking bread. Um, my, I read some about work. You got to make I know. Bread. And I'm cool with that, but I mean... That's what L- I've been doing. Listen, what's the name of that book you mentioned again? Uh, it's called One Second That's After. That's great. I love It's so good. And then the second one in the series is called One Year After. But as soon as I started reading that one, I started back in school. So I had to put it down. I think there's, I think it's a three book series. We're going to, listen, we're going to, I have faith. Um, and I'm sure you do as well. I mean, I have faith in our ability. I mean, hopefully we don't have to go back to friggin' little house on the prairie sort of shit, but there's a lot of things that we, um, we, we're, we're learning that we, we don't quite need, or we things we forgot how to do that now we have to make do. And I think that that is, it's unfortunate that we have this setback, but I think there's going to be a lot of positives that are going to come out of this. And, and humans, this is a wake up call that we have never received. I mean, I was talking to somebody yesterday about how, um, you know, our baby boomers and stuff, and maybe we would hear from our grandparents about the, um, the great depression. And, you know, I was laugh making fun of uh, this person. I used to know an old girlfriend's grandma who she would save her, she had say, she refused to throw out her husband's deceased husband's tidy whities and had sewn the pee hole shut and she would wear them. <laughs> she would wear them. So, I mean, like, that is, yeah, you hear stories and you're like, oh, 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 
such and such as my uh, grandma work so his appeal shut and saves the friggin uh, the token containers from the um, when she goes down to the 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 casinos and, and she steals the cups and she's got like a thousand of them so yeah. but it's it's not it's not wrong though i mean my grandma's 97 and she saves ziploc bags and bread bags and aluminum foil she'll use that shit until it is holier than <laughs> the other one's dead husband underwear but you know i i do similar things too and it's for me it's not about uh, obviously i've never experienced a a depression um or really any life-altering hardships but i do it for what i believe is environmental Mm -hmm. safety yes i use ziploc bags yes i use aluminum foil and plastic but i will use them until they are completely useless i'm not just gonna like cook one chicken nugget on a giant pan with aluminum foil and then throw the whole foil out. But that type of stuff, like, okay, so yesterday was Mm -hmm. Earth Day, right? So that type of stuff is the whole reduce, reuse, recycle idea. And what we're laughing about our grandparents and our great-grandparents doing that we think is so weird is actually a good way to help the environment that we are continually damaging just by being alive this year. You know, no, definitely. I, and, um, and I'm not, you know, I, I'm laughing at myself for laughing at that. I mean, I, it, on the one side respect, it is funny, uh, but it's um, nobody, but it's also, real. it's also real. I mean, why the fuck? Well, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, a little boy, in like grade school, we had to do um, a book report and I did something on, it was an article called the consumer culture and how America, what we do is we do this and we just buy things and other countries make them now. And we used to make things, but we don't do that as much anymore. And I mean, it just, it's not any one person's fault. It is like on a positive note, I feel like I'll say, well, you look, I'm glad the, when I'm talking to somebody about, let's say climate change, and they're not they're not having it. They don't get it. It's never going to happen. Bunch of bullshit. I'm like, listen. I'm glad the industrial revolution occurred. I'm glad that we have all these creature mm-hmm. com- uh, comforts, and and it's amazing that we've gotten to the point that we have. But there's nothing yeah. when you have Amazon. You know, uh, I, it got to the point where it was actually kind of humorous. Where, let's say just for lack of time, what I thought was a lack of time, I would order like lotion on Amazon and rather than going to the store, like I couldn't stop at CVS or and instead they would just be boxes deposited on, on my front, my stoop, you know? And like, it's so funny that it got to the point where a lot of people just stopped, you know, what's, what about the brick and mortars? What about the mall? The malls are closed. Isn't that sad that people aren't going and, and down the department stores anymore or whatever the fuck they, they used to do. It was crazy that things change. And you look at, I mean, every once in a while, see like a, a timeline of how long, like geologic time, billion, you know, 4.5 billion years. This is what happened. Da, 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 da. Single celled organisms. Okay. Multi-celled organisms. Da, 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 da. Uh, ocean creatures crawled out of the ocean, walking on two legs, mud skippers, uh and the tree of life expands and here we are whether people believe that whole is plausible or not i think there's a lot of good science to suggest that 
um, some sort of creative force started us and then we are advancing to the, to the current day. But um, so that's just the natural progress of if you look at, I think like you look at like a fucking termite mound or something and you look at the intricacies of, of how these termites build their home and they, and their behaviors. It's like anything we've ever seen on, on, you know, uh, animal planet or something like that. We are a fucking creature, man. Just because we have a little extra uh, gray matter, just because we've got that copious frontal lobe doesn't mean we, um, we're any better or any different than any of the organisms that we study, including these fucking viruses. I mean, I learned something cool about these viruses mm -hmm. reading the primer on that 1918 flu or whatever. It said that they, I forget what they called them initially, but they basically came up with a different name for viruses than bacteria because the filters that they were using to filter out the bacteria, these things were so small that they were going through. So they had to right. come up with a distinct name just for them. Go ahead. No, I was saying you're right about <laughs> viruses versus bacteria. Yeah, I mean, oh. But it, but also how how uh, how hosts feed them or how they feed off of hosts is different too. You know, like for example, you have um, uh, antibiotics that will affect bacteria but not a virus. Like, what is it getting from the host that's making it so different? I actually don't know that answer. Maybe I should. Say that one more time. Please. So you have a, you have a virus and you can have a specially formulated antiviral medication to treat that virus in mm -hmm. a host. But when you have bacteria, the antiviral won't do anything. You need to use antibiotics. Right. And the antibiotics won't do anything to the virus. Right. So I don't know exactly how virus versus bacteria work inside a host that that uh, distinguishes that difference in what treatment works. But um, the thing you said that you learned about from reading about the plague with the filters in them being different, I did That's, not. Know I that. didn't know it. It's freaking nuts. I mean, I I, I took yeah. um, I got years ago. I got a or not too many years, maybe five years ago, I got my master's in anatomy and physiology and started teaching. And, uh, you know, I love that. But one of the courses I took as a, as a, as part of that curriculum was, a, another microbiology course. And I did learn quite a bit in this course. And one of the main things that sticks out is that this is like a frontier of science. I mean, this is something that we talk about yeah. the Marin Marineris trench or whatever, where is it? the bottom of the ocean five miles down where we didn't know so much. And now we know, you know, now we discovered it and, you know, we found plastic down there and all that shit by the geothermal vents. Well, um, this is microbiology uh, is one of these sciences where we are learning so much so quickly. There's so much, so still so much to discover. I mean, we're learning, you hear about a lot about, up to the present, you hear a lot about um, the brain-gut connection and how all these different creatures um, that we can't see, they inhabit us. And I mean, I, I learned that you have different bacteria, different, different colonies of bacteria, distinctly different in our armpit, that's in, in, in our groin, that's in our follicles of our hair, that's in our 
GI. So, mm -hmm. and all these critters are competing for, for, you know, for terrain. They want to, they want to live there. And then there's viruses that are even good, right? They're called, um, uh, they're basically antibacterial virus. They'll snipe the bacteria and infect them. And on the note of, uh, one thing I learned about the bacteria is different bacteria. They have capsules that the, let's say an, antib an antibiotic will dissolve that capsule or somehow break it open so mm -hmm. we can get it. Some bacteria, they'll make spores, which are like these little seeds of, um, that will, that are, you can't be killed by heat or cold or antibiotics. And then they'll come back out and right. like pull a little Trojan horse on you. Then, you got these viruses. This is something that I would like to talk about. And I hope this doesn't cut us off in an hour because we're doing well, but we'll, we'll go a little bit longer if that's okay. Yeah. All right. cool. I got um, time. So talk about antivirals. So I know that there's um, uh, in my teaching that talk about interferons and how that is um, yeah, just for, the basics of it. I say, well, they interfere with viral infections and they're an antiviral therapy that we utilize. And, and it's part of our immune system that it, that allows us our immune defenses that allow us to naturally fend off these critters. And I use uh, an analogy of warfare where we, each of these little white blood cells, they have a specialty and this one's a sniper and this one's a frontline freaking Braveheart ass kicker and this one is a poisoner and this one blows up and create and kills the cell and and um but what's interesting to me about this this um COVID-19 is that we're hearing about this overreaction from the immune system can you speak to that mm -hmm. um only based on what I've right. read because I, I believe that the cases that I am seeing are not the most severe cases because um, I'm not in the okay. ICU. And while we certainly are getting those severe cases in the ICU, I'm not seeing them firsthand. But I am seeing young people my age, mid-30s, who are otherwise active, relatively healthy, and in so much pain that they can't turn over in bed you know they need help to roll over they need help to get washed they feel like they want to get up and take a shower but they can't move and I'm sure in in chiropractic you probably see a lot of people with symptoms of fibromyalgia that's kind of how my brain is interpreting how the body feels with this disease, just so painful and lethargic and tired that walking from your bed to the bathroom makes you want to take a four hour nap and you lie down and you probably sleep for eight mm. hours. So what it's, what it's doing to the body, uh, to the immune system, I think is almost like, mm, I want to say, like, maybe it looks like it's shutting it down. Like, it's just so difficult to fight that the body is just exhausted. Hmm. The Interesting. The um, Yeah, I'm trying to th think of the specific name for this. But my, I guess my point is, 
we, especially in basic science, we portray beyond, let's say, an autoimmune response, like people understand things like lupus, mm -hmm. erythematosus, and uh, rheumatoid arthritis and shit mm -hmm. like that, where the, the body, the immune system attacks the body's own cells. There is something like that happening, right? Right. With, with COVID. Right. There is something. Yeah, I think so. And I think um, if I can remember correctly, I think it's a T cell okay. response. And I don't remember specifically what the T cells do, um, but they're a part of mm -hmm. the immune system, maybe related to the lymphocytes. Don't yeah. quote me on that. Uh, so I, if I am correct about the T cells, I think what it's doing is either uh, like disengaging them or just blocking their efficacy. Yeah. I I'm like half no. talking out of my ass here because I've read a I'm lot of things. I'm pulling it up. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the interesting thing is that it's attacking the respiratory system, but it's affecting the entire right. body. And that's something that I haven't been able to fully comprehend yet from some of the journal articles that I've read is like if it's – if the entire body seems affected, like we're having – just really odd uh, blood mm -hmm. clotting issues. We're having the severe respiratory distress. We're having the labile oxygenation, sepsis, so hypotension, high uh, heart rate and high temperature. So it's a full body response, but it's a respiratory disease. And so when I think of respiratory disease, I think of COPD. Mm -hmm. I think of interstitial lung disease. Um, I think of things where like you huff and you puff if you're too active, but otherwise your body as a whole kind of mm -hmm. functions okay. And this is far beyond that. Yeah, I'm looking up that because it's, it's called a cytokine storm. So the cytokines, are, right? Oh, yeah. The cytokines are yeah. small proteins mm -hmm. released by many different cells, including the immune system where they coordinate the body's response against infection and trigger inflammation cytokine is derived from the greek word for cell and cyto and movement kinos and uh the virus enters the lungs triggers the immune response attracting immune cells cytokines are released with activate which activate more immune cells so hyperinflammation, too much inflammation for for yeah 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 too to much our fight. listeners um, you learn, you know, want to know the basics about the immune system. Well, your body has, uh, and it's innate immune system where it's got the skin, which is a huge barrier, like a suit of armor that can keep the world out, right? It's friggin' critters can't get through. There's all these layers of skin that are slawed off into the uh, atmosphere, dead skin, and that's uh, a huge component of dust, right? You hear about that? It sounds disgusting, but those characters. Those keratinocytes are like a suit of armor, constantly replenishing themselves, and the critters can't get through. Um, but then you have other, other like a, the battle that's being waged within us by these like white blood cells, which I think of them like Pac-Man, um, Ms. Pac-Man, where they're on patrol and they're looking for things to gobble up and otherwise destroy, so that they can keep the body's internal environment um, balanced and. Um, yeah, so an over-response of immunity would be 
is is a horrible thing because we always think like, oh, I got a good immune system. I'm good. I hear about this is interesting. I hear about people um, and I'm listen, I've been in this business for 15 years um, in private practice. So I, I, I'm a fan of proper nutrition and supplementation where necessary. But, you know, there's folks out there talking about how all you got to do is take vitamin C or, you know, you got to make sure, you know, sure, we need fresh air, we need exercise, we need rest, we need proper nutrition, hydration, but there's folks out there that are, that are just thinking it's as simple as protecting yourself is as simple as taking some extra vitamin C, um, which I don't think that there is any hard science that's going to, you know, recommend that you just pop some vitamin C and then head out into the friggin' marketplace. Uh, no. But that's a human no. mind. Like we want to, I mean, what happened? Yeah. We want, we want to go way. to freaking GNC and we want to, oh, what do you got for this? Or, Hey doc, we, you know, can you give me some for this? And it just, the problem is right. We just don't have, um, that's why you hear about all these crazy um, accelerated drug treatments and trying to repurpose existing drugs. What do you guys, um, what kind of medicine uh, like, how about this? Let's the, the chloro hydrochloroquine. Mm -hmm. What do you, some shit just came out said that that uh, that's not what we thought it was. Yeah, so I was um, I was surprised to see that being used um, in a hospital setting, but I guess I'm not a doctor, so I don't know as much about it. But it's uh, so the we call it Plaquenil. That's the um, brand name. I actually don't know how to say right. the generic name. I think you probably did a great job, but the Plaquenil is an um, anti-Ebola antiviral or an antiviral that was used for treatment of Ebola. And so what, what they're doing is repurposing that as an antiviral to test its efficacy against the coronavirus. So somewhere along the way, there had to have been a determination that the Ebola virus and the uh, SARS COVID-19 virus are similar. So this, this particular antiviral should have some effect. Right. But what you're referring to is the recent research that's saying it has no effect and in fact, yeah. it can actually be bad. So the research I read before I started reading hospitals using it was that it was being looked at to, to do a rapid study as a preventive treatment for frontline workers. I had never read anything about it being tested as a treatment. Um, so when it started showing up in hospitals across the country as a treatment, I was interested to see how it worked. And I have seen some patients on it. Uh, I have no idea whether it made any improvement in their condition, shortened the length of their symptoms. I, I can't tell you one way or the other. Um, but when I read that research you're referring to saying that it's, it's not really effective, I can't really say I'm surprised. I guess you want, but I think maybe because we want um, that instant gratification, we want to see that this patient is really sick. We're going to put them on Plaquenil and in three days, they're going to turn around and look so much better and they don't. So what is the time frame of a drug like Plaquenil's efficacy on COVID-19? 
I don't know. Then there's another one that is being studied that is uh, rem remdesivir, I believe it's called, and that is an antiviral for anti-malaria. Um, so that's being studied now as a treatment. So remember I said that I read Plaquenil was being studied as a preventive and remdesivir was being studied as a treatment. So since I read about remdesivir being in these rapid trials as a treatment, I haven't seen any updates. So I don't know how that's going. I haven't seen any patients on remdesivir and I haven't heard about uh, any of my friends working in other hospital systems seeing patients on remdesivir. So I don't know what's going on with that one, but I'm interested to find out. So my question is for uh, virologists and uh, I don't know, are they pharmacologists, people who study these medications and how they work? Um, If we know that this antiviral is formulated for this virus, what is the benefit in immediately trying it for this new virus? So Plaquenil, we know that it's formulated to work against Ebola. What was it about that medication that made us say, this is perfect, let's go ahead and shoot this into COVID and let it start Mm. working against COVID? Where was the testing that says, what's the difference between Ebola and COVID? Now, how can we make this existing antiviral match that difference so that it's more effective against COVID? Like, was that stuff done? Or are we just so in need of a solution that an antiviral is an antiviral and this virus is a virus, we're going to try it. And I'm not trying to like put down or talk badly about any way that this was done. I don't in that part of the field. So I don't know. But that's the question that I've been wondering is what what went on on the back end to tell us that these are the right medications to try against this virus. Yeah, agreed. And, you know, I think that uh, the reality, of course, is that we we don't this is new and we've there are things like it. Like out here we read there are many different types of coronavirus include the common cold and uh, they're, you know, they they're called Corona means crown and they've got these little, I read this cool mm-hmm. thing talking about the spike proteins that stick in the little and how yeah. they, um, any medicine that we would have would be tr- that, that would be focusing, targeting the, the, the mechanism by which the critter attaches to ourselves, say friggin' Um, yeah so the spikes rather than yeah like okay how can we stop these spikes from bonding and so i'm sure listen i hope i believe that there are people out there who are freaking geniuses in this shit but i want the no offense but freaking super nerd um uh, virologist microbiologist genius I want them talking fucking Elon Musk and I want Elon Musk on the other phone <laughs> with, uh, you know, Bill Gates and Trump and all these people uh, who have, who have any, any, um, any sway, any, perf- any influence, any um, means like, Hey, how about this? How about this? And this, this is probably what's happening right yeah. now. This yeah. is probably what's happening right now. So I read a book a while back and was talking about, um, Again, it was about technology and it was like an optimistic thing. They were saying, like, let's say we have a software program. You and I are software 
designer geeks. And we, um, I come up with a, what I think is an awesome software program, but I, I'm running into some issues with it. It's got potential. Rather than freaking just, you know, staying on my little island, I put this on an open source platform. So then you're messing around in your any spare time you have and you go, okay, I'm going to come on this. I see that Aaron Oberst has uh, this uh, software program and it's pretty cool. Hey, Aaron, I, I just added something here. I know if you ever thought about this, we're going to add this little tweak here, this little coding I'll put in. And it seems like it really facilitates the software program. And then, you know, Lisa comes in, she says, Oh, Hey, how about this? Would you ever think about doing this? And so, Talk about things spreading virally, like for good. Like here's this critter that is, yeah. um, you know, we look at it like a little fuzzball, but I would propose kind of backing into what we spoke with, with my, my warfare thing. I think we should make it look like the Ghostbusters critter and put a little freaking like a crooked emoji, evil looking face on and put a line through it. Um, but we we envision these creatures as like I don't know like not even real or a fall or whatever the illustrations yeah. we've seen. Um, but let's look at exponential technologies that we already are looking at. Like, for instance, and I wanted to address this: factory farming, so it can go in a way. Like we're going to three three D printing. Uh, we're going to be cultivating the finest, tastiest, fattest, highest protein chicken breasts that you could imagine. And we're going to go, we're going to squirt them out with 3D printers in the future. And we're not going to have carcasses and they're not going to be growing chickens without legs. We're going to cultivate the protein that we want, just like we're doing with these uh, Frankenstein burgers that are actually fairly decent. Uh, I love the I, I, I'm I'm a novice. I mean, I've had a few things, but I could probably do it. It's just that you're coming into it at a good time. There are way more options now. Yeah. But anyways, yes, factory farming, exponential factory technologies. Imagine yeah. if we just got some jets, just like any sort of, um, you know, for you know, you're probably too young for this, but remember Laverne and Shirley, and they had like this in part of their. As the show comes on, they, they worked at a beer brewing place and they the bottles oh, come yeah, by and just like any sort of thing, like how, how it's made. Oh, this is how we make loaves of Stroman's bread. And the shit comes through and it's freaking mixed and baked and making taffy today. This is how it's done. It's all done by a machine. You throw the fucking sugar in, throw whatever else in, and the machine does it. Well, so to our credit, we have advanced we have this technology and right now it's the only thing that's holding a lot of things together is this fucking internet that should be free for everybody it's going to be an entitlement going forward because how do you how do you teach you can't provide um one student let's say an education but somebody who doesn't can't afford internet can't get on it it's not going to fly so we're going to fucking get the internet up running we're going to get friggin um factory farming is going to going to transform whether they like it or not to these um, places we're going to be 3d printing with biotechnology and um, we're going to put out open source shit for bio for um, big pharma and 
technology intermingled with all this stuff. I even saw that they got a, um, you know, you hear about these supercomputers that like win chess games and shit like that. I love it because you know, what's great about freaking supercomputers in theory um, and AI, you put, you ask it a question and it crunches numbers. So I don't want to hear about Mm -hmm. what you fucking feel in your gut or what you think that uh, this, this is the best medicine for this. I want something without emotion to say, this is the evidence to substantiate this. Now somewhere in the line, you got human beings, muddy in the waters anyway but isn't that wouldn't that be cool yeah i think that would be great here's the problem with that there's no money in it well there's not it's not my problem (laughs) i i mean i think it's a great idea but the i think that the reason we haven't got things like that off the ground yet is not because of a lack of availability and knowledgeable and skillful folks who can do it, but there's no money in it. Right. But there's pain. So if you, if you have all of these things that, that are given away for free, you know, open source technology and internet access for all, you know, well, but what happens now? I don't know. Who's who's Agreed. I mean, I, but I think that there's sufficient pain that humans are all feeling right now or they will feel to, mm-hmm. um, to, to get on board, get on board you know, with just it. the realizations that people are having. Listen, we couldn't even figure, we couldn't yeah. even see it. Most of your average American couldn't even, couldn't even connect the dots that your health affects me. You know, like right. this is the, the perfect example of, your health affects me. So therefore we need to circle the fucking wagons and make sure that everybody gets some degree of health care and that they're encouraged, incentivized, not just for COVID-19 to, you know, to be, you know, tested or whatever. Chronic disease is fucking rampant, man. Like we're left, there's all these little Trojan horses that are around there. The reason why cancer and heart disease and all these other things, they're all connected to our lifestyle, right? So how do you, I think that there's going to be, there's eyes open right now. And I'm, I'm optimistic that at least in the smaller, you know, maybe it doesn't happen in our lifetime, but I think that the factory farming thing is going to happen. I think it's definitely on the way. I, I think that I agree with everything you're saying. I just happen to be a pessimist. So, uh, <laughs> I think we need to get over the me for me and you for you issue. And I think once, I don't know, don't ask me how I'm a me for you and you for me and us together. I don't know how we get over that You know what that people, they got a dirty word for it and that's socialism, you know? Oh, socialism. (laughs) That's right. What a terrible way to go. You know, I was explaining to a friend of mine uh, who is from um, from a socialist nation that is not doing socialism well. Uh, this person was trying to explain to me how bad uh, socialist government and socialist ideals are for us. And so I went down the ticker tape of all the socialized 
programs that the United States government actually has in place. And that certain uh, individuals would like to build upon. And they are, those individuals are being blocked by people afraid of the S word. But those individuals blocking it are also the ones benefiting from those programs. Oh, I so how do, how do we open those eyes and shine lights into them? I, I think that this is the perfect scenario I mean, it's imp- or the most imperfect scenario where people have to bleed a little bit. They have to know that no one is really safe. And I think that if we can track yeah. just like the feel on, you know, the things that you said you were frustrated about, like people, and we all observed, like people said, all right, well, it's the same as the flu and it's no big deal. And don't worry about it. Nobody's going to make me stop doing this and my, the constitution and all the, like when, when you have like, you know, we just learned recently that last week or two weeks ago, I read that article about the nursing home in New Jersey and in New York city where basically it sounded like, um, you know, they said they had like 30 people die people die in nursing homes but they were like the, the the staff reported like 60 and then there were some circumstances where they weren't reporting to the, the family members of those who were who were asymptomatic they weren't saying hey we got a problem here mm-hmm. you know because that's their it's their job and it's their livelihood and so, so right they, they were, were trying, trying to protect, to protect it. it but my, my long story <laughs> short my grandmother-in-law, you know, she's in a um, assisted living nearby and she's 90. And we learned that there were a couple cases there. All of a sudden, when the store that you shop in or somebody you know is affected or somebody you know is working in this setting, it your perspective changes. So I can only hope that, um, that the powers that be appreciate you know, the people with money and power and with uh, political angles and shit that they understand that, I mean, this is, this has rocked everyone's boat. And we are, even though we're always used to fucking each other over. I mean, that's like the thing we're so fucking bored with. um, I feel like humans are so bored with all this stuff, this big pile of stuff that we have. If we're not consuming, we're trying to kill each other. And just, it's mm-hmm. really, it belies, it undermines, in my view, like we think that the world is all about us. It's so fucking short-sighted. It's so, it's so time for that, that point of view to be, to have been, be dead and gone. I mean, like the, the whole Carl Sagan pale blue dot, like we are only here because of our proximity to the sun and the fact that our, our world is, is bathed in H2O and some minerals. I mean, people can't, it seems like a stretch to, to a lot of people. And I think that science illiteracy and um, um, there's a lot of things that are endemic that are like, it's like uh, precedent is, this is the way we feel, you know, this is how we regard our world. And to change that, to 
change people's minds. Good fucking luck, man. This is the only is the only thing that we could that man, could change somebody's mind. It's unfortunate. People are saying that it's like yeah. It, it, and you were saying before, and and I agree. A lot of people have had this sentiment, though, with uh, different personal beliefs as the reason. But as unfortunate as this pandemic situation is, good change can come from this. But as far as the mindset of individuals, like you just described, this is my pessimism saying the massive shift is not going to come from this. I think it's my personal opinion that when we return to life as normal, because we're doing it too soon, we're not ready. um, There will be a second wave. And I think that if that occurs, that's going to be worse than this wave because we've done so well with our preventive measures on this one, that if we get a second wave, I think it'll be worse. And I think that might have a better chance at affecting the interpersonal changes that yeah. we need. Something worse. It's my personal belief. <laughs> it's, it's my hope. Something worse. <laughs> yeah, I know. Dude, doesn't that suck though? Something yeah. worse than this is what we need. It, this is fucking bad. This is way worse than people think because people are holed up in their homes with their fleece blankets and their cats watching Netflix with their hubbies all day, you know, drinking, smoking, not going to work. And people are loving this. That's why they in don't a way they are. In is. a way, it's it's. I think, and you you can only see. Yeah. It, it's it's difficult because we can only. It's difficult to zoom out. You know, and, and like big picture it. I think. Yeah. I mean, and I, for all of us, I think for human human beings, for all of our, you know, when I look at um, everyone, so some science education points out like the the our dominant sense is our vision, and we can only see in this narrow range of visible light. You know what I mean? I, um, mm-hmm. And uh, it just goes to show that we only see a fraction of what is there before us in this world. And we're still operating in a lot of people's cases as like, you know, don't walk under fucking ladders and throw salt over your freaking shoulder when you spill some and step on a crack, break your mother's fucking back shit. I mean, like, but it's, <laughs> and I read, I read an article on this a while back. It spoke to me so, so much. It was like, uh, we are, we we are still like cave people that are sticking our head out of the cave in early spring or we're sticking our head out before we go out on the forage or the hunt and we're 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 operating on some sort of sense like what we feel in our gut about oh storms coming in things that are not to be ignored like senses that, that are not to be ignored they might be they might be accurate to some degree but we still think with our gut, like we, we still are thinking like, oh, well, like this doesn't feel good, but, but yet we don't, we have this supercomputer in our frontal lobe and we have this all capability, but we have no fucking idea. Like, you know, I listen to Jay, uh, Joe Rogan a lot of talking about the naked ape thing where we are, you know, we're not too far evolved at this juncture, but we have, think about going back to that timeline again it's like from single-celled organisms to the present day even just the last couple hundred years 500 years 
how far we've come, the exponential, the virality of humans, not to, and again, not to dis, disparage our, our species, but think about where we came from, whatever utopia the earth is, you know, when, even within our lifetimes, where you think about that pond or that creek they used to go fishing in or the way you know that 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 what is now a factory used to be like a wooded area where you'd build forts or fuck around or whatever i mean just in our lifetimes we things have changed so much and it's not all bad but it's you know you can't see as a human being that we have a gigantic fucking footprint and we're muddy in these waters. I mean, people are saying, oh, my God, do you believe? Well, you know, it's good in, in uh, Italy, in uh, Venice, Italy. All of the water is beautifully and clean now. Well, it's only because we're not riding our fucking boats around there and tourists from more, you know, wherever, from all points, aren't going over there and, and being pushed around in gondolas. The only reason... You know, yeah, and dropping your trash on the walks and letting it run into the water. I mean, you might as well just literally discard of your garbage <laughs> into the canals. Hey, look at, look at, um, it's the same you thing. Know, all these creatures. There was a coyote on the street in New York City today, and look at all these creatures that are coming out. Well, no shit, man. You didn't think that, I mean, you couldn't see that. You didn't, you didn't know when you, when you, drove by or walked through your community, took an, uh, a stroll with your family through your neighborhood, all the white picket fences, and you see that freaking shit on the drainage uh, ditch, on the drainage freaking pipes that say, you know, don't throw shit out, but it's clogged because there's like a picture of a fish on a manhole cover or something like that. It's like, you didn't realize that the shit that you're doing here was going to go out to the... Uh, was going to go down the creek and into a tributary and out into the Schuylkill and out into the Delaware and out into the ocean. You didn't think you, you don't know that much, you know? It's fucking awesome. I think you just, <laughs> I think you just uncovered a, a bigger problem. You mentioned the science illiteracy, but God, is it just illiteracy in it general? Might be, you know, the, and the ability... And not, not to say illiterate in, in unable to read and write, but illiterate in unable to learn and comprehend facts of any size. Right, and, and to scrutinizeness. Man, he's impressive. Well, they, they do. And, you know, but I mean, I mean, listen to this guy out there. I don't know if you can hear that. This type of weather, even in the spring, even during the COVID 19, the CVBS, you got these guys with the, uh, I say guys because it's probably a young man with, um, they got lower their little little cars and then they put that ridiculous exhaust down there. It sounds like it's freaking farting around the corner there. Um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I have one that does that here at like three Just go out and start spinning, spinning wheels in the parking lot. It's like, Come it's on, like every it's bump in the road. They just drilled holes in yeah. the so that it sounds cool. Um You know, not to disparage the species. I mean, I'm trying to be, uh, I'm frustrated too. I mean, I'm looking at this meme right now I just posted. It says uh, 1980s. I bet there will be flying cars in the future. And it's got uh, Captain Jack Sparrow running from the pygmies. 
with um, you there, you there, Swagger. All right, that's a terrible beep. Yeah, what um, happened? But it didn't cut us off at, at, a, oh, okay. at an hour, so uh, we'll we'll come to a close here. But this meme says 1980s. I bet there will be flying cars in the future, and it's got Captain Jack Sparrow in the scene where he's running from the uh, the, the uh, pygmies or whatever they're going to eat him. And it, he's, his arms are out wide, like he likes to run all strange. And he's got shit paper and like shopping bags, and he's running. <laughs> 2020. <laughs> um, but that is uh, that is the human condition. You know, we we are we've had this. Um, it's almost like we've we we can't. We've been so fucking successful, and we've been so viral in a way ourselves that we can't see that this coronavirus is another organism that uh, is also growing and it exists and we don't, you know, we're taking offense to it using us as a host, but we're all living on this Mm -hmm. freaking, you know, this living, breathing planet that's that's only again it's only here i know a lot of people think that the good lord waves waves a magic wand and everything just came to life and maybe there's something involved in that but i don't think it's a our grandpa up there doing that but the proximity to the closest star gives us a little bit of light and it grows some friggin some moss and the moss turns into this and that turns into that and everything, you know, kind of grows. That's what fucking is happening right now. And, and we just happen to be yep. the, you know, at the top of the, I don't know, we're the most prominent. Are we the most prominent creature on this earth or, or we just got our heads in the sand? It, it seems like macroscopically we are like on a large note, uh, on a larger scale, we are. You look at us. You look at the freaking. Uh, in, cl- in closing, swagger. There was in closing. There was this. Um, <laughs> you know, I love. I'm loving talking to you. So I hope that um, you're. You feel like this is a shared experience. I really value your input. Yeah, um, I'd love to do this again. Yeah. Well, you know. It's, yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, it, no, I think that we are in a way at the top of the food chain. I think we are in a way the the best of the best, but I think you have to take a look at that in snippets because if you take me out of my current environment and you put me in the Sahara, I am no longer at the top of the food chain. I am no longer the best in right. my situation. Well, you know? So I, I but think we've, I, you know, when I, I think know. about sometimes, Maybe like, well. you know, you talk about like that, that I, I want to read that, um, that book you mentioned there, um, because the humans are, even though we love our, all our creature comforts and how far we've come and we should rightly be proud of all of our accomplishments. Um, we also yearn for those, you know, like some sort of survival situation. There's all these shows about, I was watching one. I loved it. I've always mm-hmm. been an outdoor lover and um, outdoors uh, type dude. And it was called um, Alone. And, you know, you're like, it was on um, British Columbia, some island off of British Columbia. They drop you off, give you some basic gear and you got a shelter, food, all that shit. So it's just interesting people 
interesting watching people survive and, and be resourceful and, and live off of all the, the land, you know, everything, even though that we've got all these synthetic materials like plastic and, you know, so on and so forth, it all was derived in some way, shape or form from the earth raw materials here and ingenuity. Um, and, uh, you know, yep. we could see how that's a wonderful thing. When plastic came out, it's a wonderful thing. You can make it all these shapes and do all this shit. And so ubiquitous now. Um, but um, I just find it very interesting, the whole conversation. And the, it's an existential thing, literally, because um, something like this uh, has certainly been a blight on, and we don't know how far it's going to go or what what is going to happen or, but we can be hopeful that with the individuals like yourself who are, who are enthusiastically running into the friggin' burning building and taking night shifts because these people need help and that people that like yourself that see um, you're a person for other people and that we're all in this together, that, that we can be hopeful that other people will catch on to that sort of um, philosophy. And I think, I think it's, it's one that'll, that'll catch and go catch on and go viral. I, I hope, but. Um, I hope so. I, I think the problem, I think the biggest problem is not that humans can't go back to a simpler or a kinder way of life. I think we just don't remember how we haven't had to for so long that I think we just don't remember how. And I'm hoping that with this self-isolation, you know, people are being, I guess, forced to be closer with those inside their household or work smarter and harder with those that they interact with in the workplace or um, find better ways to communicate when people are now working from home with people they used to work with side by side maybe we'll remember how to interact with each other and maybe that's the start yeah you know i think that i I, i'm hopeful as well um listen we can i think we can go on and on but why don't we end there swag i really sincerely (laughs) enjoyed this and uh and i look great i love talking to you we listen we uh we freewheeled so this was just obviously this is there's no point yeah. in in um, in trying to sugarcoat shit and go after some sort of like well how is things in North Carolina I mean let's talk about like the, this is something that's kind of like there's no point in talking about anything else until we've gotten this out of the way but there will no doubt be developments and I want you to uh, I, I in closing I want to come up with different. Uh, like phrases, you hear my thing. I, I call it the CVBS for coronavirus bullshit. Because I don't want to. You got your your what is uh-huh. yours called? C unit. I mean, that's C like freaking. That's like spec ops. I'm just talking. I'm like a lay person here. It's I mean, C unit. You. Was, I was I was going for the hard C. Yeah, unit. A little Charlie uniform, a little C unit action here, little little after hour, <laughs> little friggin'. Uh, the night rangers there um very again uh, but other stuff too like people will say stay safe which is natural it's good verbiage 
but it, it kind of like um I don't know. It's a little basic and it's I'm looking for other verbiage like hey like some how to get the message across without suggesting that when somebody goes out they're invariably going to get contract this critter like um stay strong or stay tough or uh um you know what i really like uh i've actually i stole this from a movie uh i'm terrible with pop culture so i don't remember the name of the movie or the really funny actress in it <laughs> she says make good choices and that's my favorite thing to hey, say listen. to people Hey, make good choices make good out choices. there. Hey, listen to this. In, in, seriously, I'm gonna, this is it. But I, this is something that I'm very concerned with. Um, you mentioned PPE and the masks come up. We got people that are making these beautiful yes. homemade masks. I've read some of the science on, on you know, how feasible these things are and how protective. And um, the notion that you're, you're protecting me and I'm protecting you with these masks. Awesome. Should have caught on two months ago. Mm-hmm. Friggin' uh, the problem I see right. is that talk about communication and cooperation. I'm a big body language guy. So unfortunately I'm a big handshaker and a hugger too, which, you know, is freaking kind of can't happen as much right now. So that sucks. But when you cover, when I cover up your pretty face and I'm covering, you cannot express yourself with the many, uh, facial muscles all, all powered by the facial cranial nerve seven facial nerve. If I cannot see your expression, the corners of your mouth, a little bit of teeth, a little bit of, um, you know, people, they say in a picture, smile with your eyes. You can tell when somebody's phony smile cause they're not mm-hmm. using their eyes. I think we should do, and somebody's probably yeah. already friggin' done this, but we need to create, uh, and catch on with the notion of, uh, Velcro emoji smiles and expressions, right? So people know at least what. <laughs> I thought you were going to say a no, clear face mask. That's <laughs> cool. You can see your face through it. But yeah, like well, let's say we had. Uh, let's say it was better. your birthday. So all of our crew on on the uh, C unit are like, all right, we're going to all get these T-shirts made. You've seen that you can like the the online service where you can get like your face all like duplicated all over a t-shirt have you seen that so and so i yeah. think that will probably yeah. arise then is the mask that's custom with your you know a, an ideal picture of your face and then you put the mask on at least patients know who they're you know have a little bit more of a sense of who they're dealing with because right now definitely more so the patients but um the public, we don't know. It's almost like like who covers their face up? Robbers. So concealing things. It's, yeah. It, 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 it. People. Well, I saw a post of these doctors um, who, when they're wearing all of their PPE, they put a picture of themselves on their chest so that their patients can, like a picture of themselves smiling. So that their patients can look at that picture and see who the person behind the gear is. And I really like that because that's one of the things that's hard for me when dealing with our COVID patients. And really, we've had plenty of other patients where we have to use the same PPE and the patients can't see us. Um, 
I really like to interact with my patients and I do smile with my eyes, but I smile with my huge teeth even more. And when I go into my COVID patients' rooms, I will still go right up to them and with my gloves on, I will hold their hand and I'll introduce myself and I'll smile and I'll try to use whatever body language I can for them to see that I'm here because I want to be here. But I like your idea too. I, I we need to find a way that we can show that without all yeah. of the gear in the I mean, way. Just, you know, we're trying to, you know, that was a notification. I'll tell you what I have. No, no, no. I have freaking, we're going to end it, but I have uh, one thing that's freaking awesome is the memes that are coming across. I mean, I'm getting, I have these guys who, I, I'm, you know, I've been around, but I'm a pretty, you know, I've, I also, got a good reputation i'm not trying to be too inappropriate or anything like that but i am down with being real and so i have these buddies though that they all work yeah. for like the railroad like new jersey transit and the, the memes that come across are are absolutely inappropriate but they are fucking hilarious and uh if you don't have some sort of sense of humor you know laughter in times like these you're gonna cry so that's well, dude, you should see the nursing memes that were out even before COVID. Yeah, they have you got a it. dark sense of humor. I mean, inappropriate. If people saw the things that we laugh at every day, they would wonder why. Well, no, why are I mean, we but it's gallows humor. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, gallows humor. You know, it's like it's like you're sitting around the yeah. battlefield, and you know, yep. if you find things funny because of the situation if you don't humans one of the things about us that's awesome is that we we will be creative and we we are resilient and we can get through this and to do that we're gonna have to keep our sense of the humor so lagger we got to keep our humor we got to work together we got to cooperate and communicate make good choices (laughs) and make good choices all right i love you like a sister listen i'm gonna talk (laughs) soon we'll do this again thank you i love you man